Hi everyone, this is Olivia Hill. You might know me from the podcast that you're listening to. I very strong opinions about scientific methods and my knowledge of radioactive sodas. Anyway, I have a new novel coming out October 1st. It is called Ultra, and I wanted to read a couple chapters to you since, you know, you're here listening anyway. If you like what you hear, you can check it out on Amazon. It's up for pre-order right now, and it'll be releasing, like I said, October 1st. So without further ado, let's start. Chapter 1, Brownish Gray. This chapter is narrated by Tiffany Matheny. Tiffany, your FBI agent is here, Clover says, bursting through my bedroom door. The door hinge breaks, sending a fine powder cloud of particle board and dust all across the room. This sets off a chain reaction when the door falls down and smashes into the PVC pipe rack where my entire wardrobe hangs. That falls over into the cardboard boxes that I've been using as a bookshelf, which collapse, sending my copy of The Left Hand of Darkness into the cat's water bowl. It's too hot to let myself get pissed, so I just groan. These mobile homes are made with a 30-year shelf life, and this one's outlived its usefulness by another 30 years. Sorry, she says, slumping. She's wearing a tank top that's long enough to be a dress on her skinny seven-year-old frame. It used to be black when I wore it at her age, advertising the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Now it's kind of brownish gray, with faint traces of color and lettering here and there. In a mobile home in the desert, everything ends up sort of brownish gray. Walls, hair, food, cats. It's like the world of Mad Max, but more of a slightly annoyed Max. Agent Carter isn't FBI. He's DIA. There's a difference, Clover. He has a name. I stand up from my futon and point to the cat bowl. She frowns and steps forward to clean the mess. She does a double take as I stand and backs out into the hallway, since everything in this trailer is too cluttered and too narrow to fit two people in one room. A few years ago, it was five of us. Now it barely fits two. I don't know how that works. Good afternoon, Miss Matheny. Agent Carter's voice is soft, genteel, the kind of guy who had college paid for him and knew who exactly what steps he needed to take to get the exact career he wanted. At least, that's the air he put on. I always knew there was something more to him, that he wasn't quite as fortunate as he presented himself. But honestly, these agents are a dime a dozen, and I don't care about their stories. Don't do that. You know it's Tiffany. Miss Matheny is the name I'd use in a quaint rural British mystery show on PBS. I whip my hair back in a loose knot and stroll right past him, past the brownish-gray tweed sofa, past the brownish-gray coffee table with brownish-gray National Geographics all over it, some serving as coasters, some poorly serving to make us look cultured. It's not fooling anybody. Did Clover get you a drink? I tug open the brownish-gray refrigerator and pull out a gallon jug of distilled water. Oh, I'm all right, Tiffany. I was hoping we could get to our appointment so we can call it a day and I don't need to take up too much of your time. I glance back and he's fidgeting. Something's going on. I narrow my eyes and concentrate, looking past what he's saying to what he's thinking. It's a two-hour drive. If I'm out of here by three, I can still get back in time for a shower before dinner. This place is a mess. Special dinner tonight, I say, pouring two glasses of water. The glasses were older than me, featuring the Smurfs. Mom used to say that she was keeping them because someday they'd be worth money. Even when I was a kid, the pictures were too faded to read. Now you can find them $2 for a full box at the flea market, because most families had the good sense to get rid of this stuff. Eventually, I'll get around to doing the same. Maybe. Probably not. 
but I'll tell myself I will, and then I'll shame myself for not doing it. It's a great cycle of constant low-grade guilt over a house I didn't build and I don't want. I tell myself that one of these days I'll burn this place to the ground and move to the city. But of course, I don't think the DIA would like that. Oh yeah? How'd you know? That's the sort of suspicious, presumptuous tone people use in hopes they might trick you into incriminating yourself. He knows I'm psychic. I know I'm psychic. But this is the game we have to play every two weeks. I mix it up a little, tease him, lead him on. Then I pull the reversal. You keep fixing your cuffs, I say, putting down both glasses on the coffee table. He takes his in spite of the protest. You shouldn't wear a suit here. You're just going to have to change when you get home. This place is a mess. I can't help but to poke at him a little. He's not wrong. This place is a mess, but I don't like hearing people think it. People are always taught to keep rude things to themselves. I hear all the things people say, so I'm used to it. I'm used to the lies and the condescension, but that doesn't make it hurt less. He raises an eyebrow and smirks. You know I don't like when you do that. I shrug. I don't know what you're talking about, Agent Carter, so who's the lucky guy? I take a drink. In this place, every time you take a drink of anything, it feels like your body jumps forward to the cup begging for a little more. You don't live in the Nevada desert. You endure it. Agent Carter's cute. He's got that hunky, East Asian action star thing going on. But when he's talking about dating, he blushes and his voice heightens like a little schoolgirl. I'm sure the guys in the city eat him up. He's such a softie for a secret agent for a government conspiracy that's tortured my family for decades. He doesn't think he's evil. None of them do. Sometimes he's concerned about the ethics of all of this, but it's complicated. It's always complicated. Everything in my life is complicated, and that's the excuse for why I don't get to live like a normal human being. Why I didn't get to go to a normal school. Why I didn't get to have normal friends. His name's Kurt. That's not why I'm here. He takes a drink, forces a smile, and puts down his glass. Since you know I have plans, can we get started? I shrug and take another drink. Agent Carter opens his messenger bag and pulls out a deck of flashcards. I've seen this deck a million times before. I think they use the same deck with my dad. He shovels the deck and holds it up, back facing me. He looks at a picture. I hear his thoughts clearly, plainly. It's an airplane, Tiffany. Just say it's an airplane. I purse my lips and pretend I'm thinking about it for a couple seconds. It's a dinosaur. He sighs and flips to another car. Car. It's a motorcycle. He raises an eyebrow. Are you sure it's a motorcycle? Maybe something closer to... Oh, it's definitely a motorcycle. I give him a thumbs up. He furrows a brow. I gotta fuck with him sometimes. He sighs again and then flips another card. Apple. It's a cat. He flips another. Pencil. It's a monkey. He flips another. House. Scissors. He sighs and flips another. Fish. Fish. His eyes go wide. No, wait. It's a teacher. I can't help but to smirk. He rolls his eyes. Tiffany, please. I know, I know. I make a rolling motion with my hand. He pulls another card. It's a teacher. His face goes red. It's, I pause for effect, an alien abduction. It's Lee Harvey Oswald. He's with Lyndon B. Johnson and Elvis Presley, and they've all three been replaced with, he cuts me off, Tiffany. I can't help but to laugh. He puts the cards away. How many times have we done this experiment, Tiffany? I shrug. Once every two weeks for, I don't know, five years? You'd think you've gotten bored of it by now. Of course, before it was you, it was Agent Green for ten years. Before Agent Green, it was Agent McNamara for five years. Different agents, same cards. The agency should really invest in an iPad. <sighs> All you have to do is be honest. Tell us what you see. I see the same deck of cards I've seen for twenty years. I see the same vague threats about what happens if I miss these experiments. 
I see how I know what happens when you get what you want out of me. Agent Carter sighs and stands. You're making a lot of assumptions, Miss Matheny. I know your father told you a lot of things. All right, I say and stand. Deep down, despite his rock-solid arms and abs, Agent Carter's a coward. Any real show of dominance shuts him down immediately. He must be the life of the party. All right, as in, you'd like to take the experiment seriously? He swallows hard, intimidated by my standing. I take his empty glass, and then he looks to it, then back to me, awash with guilt. All right, as in, I think we've had all the progress we're going to get today. And if you'd like some more water, I'd be glad to get it. But otherwise, why don't you go have a good time with Kurt, and I'll see you in two weeks, Agent Carter. He blinks and takes a deep breath and nods. That's probably for the best. I'm sorry, Miss Matheny. He stands. I hold up the glass to him. He puts up a hand and shakes his head. No, thank you. This is what the government's come to. The DIA used to lock kids like me in cages. Kids like my dad. They thought that they could use us as weapons, as spies against the communists. They broke us, but they never found a way to make our gifts work for them. Now they've been reduced to little bureaucrats who have to drive two hours to trailer parks in the desert so they can argue with us about flashcards. They're afraid that if they play heavy-handed like in the old days, we'll blow it all wide open on social media. Don't get me wrong, they're ruining our lives. I'm stuck in a trailer in a desert because I'm not fit for the world at large. This trailer's not much different than a cage, except it's a cage where we're the ones paying the property taxes. The worst part is, I can see the future. At least kind of. I mean, it's not a psychic power. I know everything's going to change. I just can't tell exactly when or how. With these DIA guys, I always feel like something's ramping up. Like things are escalating. That's not a coincidence. I can't get a clear read on Agent Carter, but he knows something's happening, and soon. He's afraid, and I don't think it's just his coming quarterly review. Chapter 2, Miranda K. This is narrated by Miranda K. At 6.30, I drink a protein shake and head out to the gym. I'm supposed to start at 7, but I'm there at 6.45 so I can get an early start. That's because I'm a go-getter. I put my headphones on, stretch, run, lift, dance, and run some more. While I'm on the treadmill, a guy about my age gives me a look, like he recognizes me, like he wants to ask me for an autograph. He walks over. I smile. My adoring public. I slow the treadmill. I don't stop it. Life's a stage, and I still have to put on a show. When you're on a treadmill and you stop moving, you ruin the whole facade. It's like the first time you realize the stars are just great big balls of gas, or that the rides at Movie Land are all just sets and not real haunted houses and fairy castles. You don't become an idol through shirking your responsibilities by taking off the mask. Hey, I say, dropping my custom Miranda K. blue and gold Beats by Dre headphones to my shoulders. I hear his thoughts, his apprehensions. You can do it, Steve. Just go up and ask for her number. Hey, I just saw you running and I wondered if I could get your number. Huh? I stopped the machine. He's not here for an autograph. He doesn't know who I am. He just thinks I'm cute. Does he really not know who I am? Just, you know, your phone numbers. I can text you later and we can Netflix and chill. He's very average. Very, plainfully average. I'm not just out of his league. He should be afraid to talk to me with anything but deference. How does he not know who I am? You don't recognize me? I wipe my brow with my towel, tossing my hair back the way I did in a shampoo commercial right around 1999. They said I was like a Greek goddess. Greek goddesses didn't have my stylists. They probably smelled like olives and fish. Um, should I? He says, furrowing a brow and thinking. Wait, did we go to school together? English class? We most assuredly did not. 
I lose my patience. Maybe it's the sweat. Guys like this, they're not used to seeing women with, like me without makeup. They never appreciate the countless hours that go into building an image like mine. No, I'm Miranda Kay. Miranda? He stops and perks up. Oh, like the singer. Whoa, he laughs. My sister used to listen to you. Are you still making music? He thinks, she was really hot in the Punish Me video. Um, I have a song on the Billboard charts right now, I say, taking a deep drink from my water bottle. It's number 48 on the Billboard charts. I used to be number three. I used to be on TRL. Oh, cool. I don't listen to a lot of new music. I wonder what she looks like naked. Are her boobs real? I don't even read his mind. He's looking right at them. Hey! I snap and he looks up at my face. Up here. What a bitch. I was just looking. Sorry. I clench the treadmill's handhold. You're not sorry. You're being a pig. You were looking at my boobs and wondering if they were real. His eyes go wide. Didn't peg her for a feminist. Betcha she's crazy in bed. What's the book say? Gotta assert my dominance. Women want an alpha male. Are they? I feel the warmth of my nose bleeding. I feel my control slip. My hand clenches the handrail hard enough that I break a nail. My face is burning. Whoa, are you okay? Sorry I talked to you. He turns and waves me off, then mumbles, crazy washed-up bitch, under his breath. Stop, I say. He stops. He turns around and looks me in the eyes. Kill yourself. I feel the power wash over my body, from my head down to my toes. My nerves tingle. It hurts, like when your legs fall asleep. Huh? What the fuck are you talking about? He seems confused, so I clarify. I want you to go home, and I want you to kill yourself. He flips me off and walks away. I finish my workout. At 9 a.m., I'm scheduled to meet with a podcaster. I love interviews. It's really where I shine. Chapter 3, Stephen Avery. This is narrated by Stephen Avery. I open my door, and I toss my gym bag on the coat rack. I can wash it later. I lock the door behind myself. This fucking neighborhood, you can't trust anyone. I take off my shoes, and I hit the button on the answering machine. I hate having this fucking phone. It's 2016. But my mom says she can't call my cell phone because she doesn't trust it, and I'll miss calls. The machine beeps. This is not Stephen Avery. Please hang up. If this is Stephen Avery, we must inform you that this is an attempt to collect a debt. Please call ACP Debt Management Solutions at... I hit the delete button. No new messages. I go to the kitchen, and I grab a bottle of bleach and a bottle of beer. There's an old Tupperware container in the fridge that's growing mold. I'll have to clean that out later, maybe after work. I walk to the couch and have a seat. I grab the remote and turn on the game. San Gennaro Vikings are beating the Merida Nuevo Cactuses 13-0. I pop open the beer and I take a swig. Good way to end a workout. Then I pop open the bleach and I chug. It hurts. Instantly, my throat dries up and locks. I feel my gag reflex kick in. But I give it my all and I keep swallowing through the burn. It's like college. Like doing a keg stand. I want to stop, but I can't. I tell my body to stop. To drop the bottle. To stop swallowing. I feel tears coming to my eyes, and I keep drinking until the bottle's empty. Chapter 4. Convenience. This chapter is narrated by Tiffany Matheny. Once a week, one of us makes the trip down to town to get supplies. It's not much of a town, it's just a general store called the Minecart that used to be a gas station, a chain gas station across the street, a little biker bar called the Gold Rush, and a few mobile homes mostly belonging to the people that work at those three places. It's an interesting situation because there's three businesses, but all three are never open. The general store is open from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. The gas station's open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. The bar's open from 6 p.m. to whenever it closes. It's a town that's only ever two-thirds alive. 
We call the town Hazlitt, after some miner from the 19th century who struck gold here once. It wasn't even much gold, just a couple handfuls. That's what kind of town we are. We're riding high on one tiny success over a hundred years ago. There's this little folksy wooden sign that says we've got 229 residents. We're not even really a town, not incorporated, no post office, just a bunch of people spread all over a couple square miles. The gold rush pulls in some visitors here and there. They were even featured on a Ghost Hunter TV show a while back, which tripled tourism. So now they do haunted tours, showing off a couple places in the wall where some guy shot some guy back in the Wild West. It's two bullet holes. That's the most interesting thing in this entire town. Clover and I switch off every week going to town to get groceries. This means driving 15 very slow minutes along a path that's barely safe to walk along, let alone drive. It's only 15 minutes to walk, but it's not like you can carry groceries all that way in the sand and the heat. The few people in town think loudly every time I come down. The witches are here. We're the witches. Nobody's hunting us or even really hating us. They take our money, they smile, and they mostly just want us to go home. They're not saying it to insult us. That's just how they think of us. Every now and again, one of the locals comes up to ask our advice on something. It's a long-standing tradition. We don't really have advice. We can't see the future. Mostly, we just listen to their thoughts and tell them what they're thinking. They like that. It gets a couple extra dollars and a free bag of groceries here and there. I don't know why they think of it as we're the witches, or even why the people in town think of it that way. I'm the only one left. Since mom and dad died, it's just me and Clover, and everyone's known that I'm the only one left with a gift. They paint the whole family with the same brush. We're all witches, because I'm a witch. Hey Doris, I say as I walk into the minecart and a little bell jingles. Afternoon Tiffany, she looks up from her magazine. Better Homes and Gardens. I don't know why anyone in Hazlitt would read Better Homes and Gardens. Every home's a better one than the homes around here, and nobody's got a garden unless you count a couple of potted cacti. The only thing it's going to do is make people jealous of crabgrass. I grab a basket and start loading it with cartons of canned goods. Corn, green beans, pineapple. I grab a 10-pound bag of potatoes. Can I get you some hamburger? Doris shouts from the other side of the little shop. She knows I don't eat meat. No thanks, Doris. Fucking weird vegetarians. My daddy used to say you can't trust anyone who won't eat a good hamburger, she thinks. Your daddy ain't here now, is he? I say, putting the bag of onions on the pile. Whatever do you mean, dear? She knows I can hear what she's thinking. She's just being a pain in the ass. I tune out her thoughts and focus on the groceries. She's raised the price on garlic powder. Off in the distance, I hear the roaring of motorcycle engines. Sometimes bikers come through. Not usually this early in the day, though. You're out of soy milk over here, Doris. Got any in the back? I say over the aisles, filling my cart. You know you're the only one that buys that junk, hon, and I don't get restocked until Wednesday. I can drive you up some when I get it in. All right. The motorcycles get louder. Sounds like they're definitely coming into town. Doris's thoughts are too loud, too nervous to drown out. Gold Rush ain't open for another two hours. Maybe they're just coming in for gas, she thinks. My phone buzzes. I get a few bags of pasta and toss them in the cart. My phone buzzes again. I don't get much signal up at the house, so if I get text messages, I usually only get them when I go to the store. I pull it out of my purse. It buzzes again and again. Four texts from an unknown number. Tiff, this is your handler. Agent Carter doesn't do capitalization and punctuation, but he usually messages me from his cell phone and he always uses his name. If you get this, get out of town. Tiff, it's serious. I'm sorry, my hands are tied. Gotta go. Call me later. I look over to the aisle, to Doris. Need something, hon? I shake my head. I'm good, Doris. Thanks. Doris gets up and goes to get the broom and dustpan. Oh yeah, that Agent Carter, he called and told me you um, to give a message to call him. He said it was urgent. Oh, thanks. That's not like Agent Carter. He doesn't do that. 
He likes to pretend nobody knows I get a federal visitor every two weeks. The motorcycles get louder and louder. They're revving them as they get closer. Just gotta shake out the girl, bust up the town a little, make her come with us, one of them thinks. The thing about being a psychic is that whenever someone menacing and awful is thinking about the girl, that means they're thinking about me. This is always true. Maybe because Clover and I are the only women under 30 in the town. Shit, I say, and put my phone back in the purse and make for the door. Language, Dora snaps at me. I can barely hear her over the jingling of the doorbell and the motorcycles. I jump in the truck and grab for my keys. That's her! One of the bikers shouts as their motorcycles form a circle around the parking lot and stop. I turn the key. The truck sputters, but it doesn't start. I try again. No luck. They're all thinking. Every one of them. They're riled up. Not even gonna have to rough anyone up. She's right there for the picking. Just gonna grab her and get my pay. I look out the window. There's nine of them, and I'm trapped. I listen to their thoughts. My dad taught me to always listen for the different voices, the ones that stand out, because that's where you find your answers. All right, girl, come with us. They start getting off their bikes. She's a cute piece of meat. Shame she. Rocker said that she'd be hard to shake out. Looks like he was wrong. Thought we were going to get a fight. Looks like we're not. These rubes. They'll get the specimen. My hands are clean, and they'll be in jail by dinner. There. That's the odd man out. I open the truck door. Him. I point to that guy. He's easily the most well-groomed of the group. He smeared some motor oil on his clothes in the most pathetic disguise attempt I've ever seen. I can't believe they didn't see right through it. Get her, he shouts. The men look between me and him, confused. He's FBI. He's gonna throw you all in jail the second you do it. They freeze. A couple reach for their belts. Cutter's the new guy. Do we even know where he came from? One of the thinks. One of them thinks. What are you doing? Get her. Some of them take another step toward me, but apprehensively. I dig in his mind. He's a cross-branch field agent. Agent Severin. He should have been discharged for a drug bust where he's taken kickbacks from a dealer, but pinned everything on an innocent family. The family was killed in a SWAT raid. I hit a wall. He's got mental blocks in place. DIA training. His name is Agent Severin. Ask him. He grits his teeth as every one of the bikers look at him. She's lying. Why do you listen to her? Get her. I hear one refrain from almost everyone else. No Fed's going to get one over on the rockers. It's all over his face. They see it. They know it. They all reach for their guns. I turn over the truck and it roars to life. I tune out their thoughts and slam on my gas. My truck barrels forward and knocks over two of their bikes. I drive as fast as I can toward the highway. I hear about eight gunshots in the distance. Then I hear the bikes fire back to life. They're too far away to hear their thoughts, but I don't think I need to hear them to know that they want to get rid of the witness. Okay, so there's the first four chapters of Ultra. If you liked it, go over to Amazon, check it out. Please give it a pre-order. It comes out October 1st. And with independent authors, every single sale counts. This isn't like a multi-million dollar movie where your ticket doesn't really mean anything. With independent authors, every single sale can kick us up those ranks and get our books out there so people can see them. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed what I had here, and I can't wait to read the next SCP with Mina. Bye!